You're listening to Tooth Be Told. For the latest updates, like our SPIU Alberta Facebook page and follow us at SPIU Alberta on Instagram. Hi everyone, welcome back to Tooth Be Told. I'm Ying and I'm joined by my co-host Nick. Hey, I'm Nick. I'm Ying's classmate uh, going into my second year of dental school at the U of A. Yeah, and today's episode is part two of the residency program episodes, and our focus will be comparing the GPR program with the AEGD program. Our guest speakers are Eleanor and Emily, and we'll just have them quickly introduce themselves now. Um, Here's Emily. Hi, my name is Emily Samu, and I recently graduated from the U of A dentistry program in June. I am currently an AGD resident uh, um, at the Arizona School of Dentistry and Oral Health in Mesa, Arizona. Thanks, Emily. And now we have Eleanor. Hi, guys. My name is Eleanor Lacatch. I am Emily's uh, old classmate now, unfortunately, graduated in 2021. Um, I am uh, doing my residency at the University of Alberta here in Edmonton, uh, which is where I went to dental school. So it's kind of been a nice transition. Thank you, Eleanor. And now we'll get started with the interview. Uh, Awesome. Uh, Could you guys both give us, I guess, a bit of a quick introduction into what both a GPR and an AEGD are? We can start off with you, Eleanor. Yeah, sure. So if you guys don't know, GPR stands for General Practice Residency. Um, The goal of the program is basically to do general dentistry treatments in a setting that is maybe um, more complex patients or more complex treatments. Um, I think the program is initially created to create uh, an environment where dentists could train before going to a rural setting. So for people who wanted to go practice sort of up north where they were pretty isolated, it was to train them in, you know, specialty types of treatments that they could provide, you know, good, confident care um, to their patients. And obviously it's developed now where it's a pretty popular program, but um, the goal still is to train uh, dentists to be very independent um, when they are done their one year. Um, Yeah, so an AGD is almost a similar definition in that you're doing more complex uh, procedures under the guidance of maybe more um, specialists or general dentists that are experienced. Um, So how how do you differentiate between a GPR and AGD? So I would say it's more of a spectrum. A GPR, I think, technically has to have a hospital component of some sort, whereas an AGD does not. Um, That being said, an AGD can have a hospital component to it. Um, And I would say that it's definitely, there's more programs that are more blended. So you can have, uh, you can be on call, you can be in the hospital, but you can also be in like a separate clinic doing general dentistry for patients as well. So I would say there's no real like line between GPR and AGD, and it's more dependent on the program. Perfect. Thank you. Um, is there any cost associated with either of the programs? Yeah, so being at the U of A, we're still considered residents. So we register uh, through the U of A and we do pay like a tuition of about $1,000. Um, we do get certain CE courses um, for free and then some we have to pay. So for example, we're doing a CBCT um, interpretation course and we're getting a reduced cost, but we still have to pay a little bit for some of our courses. Um, and you pay for a license. So when you graduate from dental school, you have to get licensed. And we actually get a partial license license called a research education license. So I'm only able to practice um, at the school, at the hospital. I'm not allowed to practice outside of those two environments. Um, so I do pay for that, but it's a lot less than uh, what my other classmates are paying for their um, license. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, 
Right, for sure. And what about Emily? I do get paid a second. Um, and I feel like you shouldn't go to a program that makes you pay money to go to their program. There's so many good programs out there where you get paid. So I would say definitely go for something that you get a stipend for. Um, I would say there isn't really a cost to it other than the application process um, and just the, the fee to like move here, you know, the moving costs to associated with it. I didn't have to really pay for anything. I don't have to get a license here because I'm covered by the school's license. And when you look into programs, you have to make sure that you can be covered by the whatever program's license um, instead of having to provide your own. So some programs in certain states require you to get like a state, state license. And so you'd have to like actually fly and, and, and probably do like a simulation OSCE type of thing or even, you know, hire patients to like come and, and so try to find a state if you're interested in a, in a US program um, where you can just work under the license instead of having to provide your own. I will add, I do get paid also, <laughs> although I do have to pay for something. So we get paid like a salary basically um, for the year. And then when we do emergency clinics in the weekend, we get paid separate for those clinics. So yes, <laughs> otherwise okay. I would not, it doesn't make sense to do it. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> you don't get paid. Right. Makes sense. So uh, just, I guess, going into a little bit more on the programs themselves, I was wondering if you guys could maybe give us a bit of a sense of what the hours are like. Um, we can start off with you, Emily. So technically, I think it's like 40 hours, like eight to five, technically, uh, but I'm more there like 7.30 to six or seven. Um, and sometimes I'm like preparing for cases afterwards and I don't really get paid for those hours, right? Uh, but technically it's more eight to five. I don't get on call. So I have the weekends to myself, luckily. Um, but I would say it's, it's an eight to five with the exception that you do have to kind of work on your cases and they don't really count those hours. And yeah, at the U of A, it's pretty much the same as undergrad. So we work 8.30 to 3.30 right now, which I think is going to continue into the year. And if you're at the hospital, you work eight to four and you pretty much cut off. But if it's your on-call week, so we do, you know, general weeks, um, you're kind of 24 seven for seven days straight. Um, we don't get called very often. You're not really getting a lot of like 2 a.m. calls. It's usually you're not called by eight, you're probably not going to be called. And it's just for small things like, oh, this kid fell, chipped his tooth, you have to go in. Um, you don't get paid for um, after hours during the week, though, if you're getting called, you only get paid for scheduled um, clinic shifts. So how we've organized our schedule is if you're on call, you'll also work a Saturday and Saturday is 10 till six in the emergency clinic. So the fourth year students will work with us this year. And then um, the week before you're on call, you will work Sunday. So you end up working two weekends, which I don't know how long we'll stick with that because it sucks. But yeah, you end up working kind of two weekends. And then when you're uh, a second on call or shadow calling, you could also be called in on Saturday to help. So my last, um, the last time I was on call and shadow calling, I worked 18 days uh, with only one day where I didn't have to go into the clinic. So it's a lot. It's a lot of having no days off where you have to be ready to go in. So um, those, yeah, when you finally get your first weekend off, it's like, I, just, I don't want to leave. Uh, yeah. I don't want to think about dentistry. Oh, wow. No, that, that seems crazy. <laughs> Quickly move on. Um, does your program require any didactic courses or is it mostly clinical work? We can have Emily start us off here. So initially when I was going into the program, they made me do some like safety courses, things like that, that you would do like in dental school. 
I also did like a laser safety course uh, and it counted for CE, which they gave, uh, gave to us for free, which was nice. Um, we also have like one day a month where we do regional day. It's, it's called regional day. And we go through like case presentations, things like that. And we have guest lectures, but it's not like we get graded for anything. It's just more like a completion type of thing. Um, and so it's mostly clinical work. I would say 90% of my time is dedicated towards clinical work, 90 to 95. Yeah. For our stuff, it's, it's all CE based. So, um, yeah, there's videos you have to watch. You have to write quizzes and stuff for um, a laser C course to be um, able to use the laser. We do IV sedation training. So again, that's a lot of videos, textbooks you have to read to prepare for that course. And then there's um, exams. And we'll get the CBCT interpretation as well. And then um, potentially an, an ortho introduction to Invisalign, who knows if that's going to happen. It's kind of um, by the seat of our pants, but that would be the only thing. And it's, it's fairly heavy because it's quite a bit of material to go through, but um, it's the same CE course that general dentists take. It's not like a specialized course that GPR takes. We're just um, included in, in the CE courses. So um, you'd take them if you weren't even in our program. So in terms of sort of like kind of talking about the in-clinic stuff, I was wondering if you guys could talk about sort of what your program scope of practice is like and what sort of things you guys are doing in the clinic. Eleanor, you can go first. Yeah, so I wrote a list of all the treatments that you would generally do <laughs> in GPR. So um, 1,000 recalls, probably close to that in your first month. It's a ton of, ton of exams. Um, because they hold them off at the end of the year prior to use. They don't want to do recalls. They want to finish their treatment. So you get bombarded and you get really good at that 45 minute recall. Trust me, you'll get there. Um, a lot of fillings, we do root canals, uh, we place restore implants, we do crowns, bridge, dentures, IV station. Uh, we use uh, a diode laser, uh, we extract wisdom teeth. We do, you know, we can do socket preservation, we can biopsy. And uh, this year um, the oral surgeon is encouraging us to maybe potentially try sinus lifting. So there are, you know, opportunities to, um, do more complex surgeries, um, but you know we're barely taking out wisdom teeth right now, so that's kind of far in the future. But um, we basically just do general dentistry things. We're not doing anything too too crazy. Um, the goal of our GPR at the U of A is to run like private practice, so they want to see you see between you know four to eleven or four to seven generally patients a day, and you're trying to get um, stuff through the clinic. So we're not working, you know five, eight hours on like these really complex cases. We're doing a lot of, you know, simple treatments and just getting sort of competent in those um, types of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so for myself, uh, since we have so many uh, specialists come every week, uh, so we have like a, a prosthodontist full-time and a prosthodontist part-time that comes weekly. Um, we have two endodontists that come weekly, um, oral surgeons that come weekly. Um, yeah, so a lot of like weekly specialists.com. So we get to do a lot of really cool things. Um, so in terms of like scope, I would say basic restorative. Again, I'm doing a lot of new patient exams right now and, and treatment planning things. But basically whatever your patient needs is what you can do usually. Unless it's so like super complex that, okay, we should refer to an, a specialist uh, in private practice, then we'll do that. But yeah, so we get to do a lot of complex pros. So opening up video mouth rehabs potentially. Um, so uh, I have some cases like that. And then some of my co-residents are working on cases like that as well. Um, endodontics, uh, molar root canals, potential retreatments and myocectomies, uh, lots of dentures, partial dentures, implant, everything 
uh, from placing it and planning it to restoring it. Um, and also periosurgery, because um, we do have periodontists come weekly as well. Uh, so gingival grafts, socket preservation, um, uh, they also help place implants and do yeah, cool periosurgeries um, that I never really got to explore in dental school because we did mostly basic perio and like periodontal therapy. Um, so yeah, I think, I, I think the um, strength about this program is that we have like, really good faculty that is willing to support us in these um, endeavors that I would never want to do in private practice if I was like a new grad. Um, and we also get very complex medically, uh, medically compromised patients. Uh, patients with hemophilia, HIV, AIDS, uh, clearance, and we also do clearance for cancer patients because um, we get referrals from a cancer center across the street. So that's been pretty interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. No, that sounds great. Um, it seems like you guys are doing exciting stuff other than the recalls. Uh, <laughs> I will add one thing. If you're interested in more pathology types of things, there are GPR programs in Canada that focus a lot more on um, oral pathology. A lot of the programs in Ontario and in BC. Here at the U of A is probably one of the only ones that I was experiencing as I was you know, doing my interviews that doesn't have any really oral path. We don't really get a lot of exposure into that. So if that's something you're really passionate or interested in learning or getting better at, um, then you, there are programs there that will do it, just not necessarily here at the U of A. And I forgot to add one more thing to my list. Oral facial pain, because Eleanor just reminded me about oral medicine. Oral medicine is important. And um, we do some biopsies here, but not too much. Um, I do have like a biopsy scheduled for like a, a lesion. But uh, yeah, we do have like uh, TMD. Uh, that's huge here. Uh, helping patients with that, I think is pretty interesting. We do like a lot of oral facial pain here as well. So that's, I just wanted to add that on my list because that's pretty important. Right. Thank you for the next topic is something that um, I think a lot of people who want to apply to either of the programs will um, be really interested about. Uh, what is the application process like to get into each of your respective programs? Could you guys kind of give us a relative timeline for the application process? Uh, we can start with the GPR program first. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I didn't do as much. Emily, she'll have some stuff to tell you guys, but um, I only applied in Canada and I only applied to GPRs. Um, I was not as picky, so I really applied pretty much everywhere to like the top five, I guess. So um, they're usually open in early spring and they close generally end of September, October. So it happens like it's pretty quick. It's sort of fourth year. You got to get your stuff in order. Um, they usually require like a resume or a CV, a letter of intent and a couple of letters of recommendation, two to three generally. Um, one thing that Kelsey was mentioning when if you guys went to her talk last year was she um, said it was important is you should have someone who's sort of of high status. So you want to get a, a reference letter from someone who's either a specialist or a team lead. So for example, I'll tell you who my references were. I chose Dr. Campbell, um, my team lead, Dr. DePledge and Dr. Wright, because um, I felt like they really knew me as a student. Um, it is very hard sometimes to ask people to write reference letters, um, but just know that the faculty writes them all the time. So if you do go and you wanna you know, approach someone and say, I know I haven't really worked with you too much, but you've had, you know, helped me with a few cases, can you write me a letter? Just provide them your CV and give them your letter of intent so they can read why are you wanting to do GPR so they can add those types of things into their own letter. Or you can write a letter for them and say, I've written this letter, would you be willing to sign your name to it? And they can make adjustments as they find fit. Um, 
but yeah, don't be scared. It is, it is hard to ask, uh, trust me. Um, and then, yeah, basically they're due early October, end of September kind of thing. And then you wait about a month to hear back for interviews. And um, I applied everywhere because the applications don't cost a ton to apply. And all the Zoom, all of the interviews were on Zoom. So there was no flying, but I know a lot of the past um, years, they do kind of like a cross country tour where they'll start in UBC and they'll go U of A and then U of T and, and Dalhousie kind of across the board and do sort of a very intense interview period, um, which can be fun, but also a little bit um, scary. So if you're haven't started, start now because it does take quite a while to send stuff in. So it's gonna be a little bit long. Um, just let me know if you have any questions, if I missed anything. So tips for applying to American programs, um, do your research early. That's the first step. If you're in first or second year or um, you know, beginning third year and you're kind of interested but not sure, like start right now, like look into it because time's gonna fly by so fast. You're gonna be so busy and you're not gonna have time to research these things. And that's what is the most time consuming part of this whole process. And that's what was most frustrating to me because sometimes you email these programs and they don't get back to you. And then you have to keep emailing them and that can take months. Um, or even like you email a resident, they forget to email you uh, back and then you have to email them again. So yeah, just to start early, um, I would say maybe in like January um, before you apply, um, just to send out emails and then just kind of correspond with people, ask your questions. Uh, because when you get around to June, um, that's when the cycle ends, right? That's when the program ends. And so if you contact too late, like in July or August, you're going to get a new batch of residents. So if someone contacted me, I'd be like, oh, I can give you a general idea, but like I wouldn't be able to give you like a full perspective, right? Um, so try to get the residents in the second half of their program. So uh, from January to June, ask them what it's like, ask them what the program uh, entails, what kind of patients do they see? Is it a hospital setting? Um, is it not? Uh, what about um, living? Like, is it a good social life? How much does it cost to live there? Do you need a car? I think that's pretty big. If you're, if you're a Canadian trying to come to the States, what are you going to do about a car? Because I struggle with that, right? Um, also, like, think about what you want in a program. Do you want IV sedation? Because a lot of programs in the States probably don't give you that. Um, so, you know, maybe applying to the UVA might be better if you're interested in that. Um, and also there is this like overarching application um, site that most American programs use. It's called PASS, um, ADEA PASS. And so it's like a centralized system. So you go on their website and you have like, like one application almost, and then you send it out to every school. And the only thing that's different is maybe your personal statement. So um, talking about yourself and like what you want to learn, et cetera, et cetera. And you can personalize it to each program. Um, so that's ADA pass and on this pass website, you can upload professional evaluation. So your reference letters. So Eleanor kind of touched upon that, like picking your references, which I think she gave some really good advice after that. Um, you can also upload your, um, your board exam. So US boards, you do have to write your US boards usually. Um, we, can, we can talk about that afterwards if you have any questions about that. Um, also, you do have to get like your school to write you kind of like a reference letter saying that you're in good academic standing, they can give you um, like an anonymous like ranking of like what you like they won't show it to you but they'll send it to your program like what ranking you are. Um, things like that and for the application fees it's about like 260 for the first application and then each subsequent application is about 120. 
Um, yeah, so you kind of have to make an account uh, on this website. So I would look into that um, and start it early. It's free um, until you have to pay for an application, right? Um, I think that's like a really, really rough draft of what I wanted to say. Um, do you guys have any questions about that or anything I can clarify? No, that, I mean, that was great. Okay. That's a lot of information that <laughs> okay. like things, but I yeah. do you kind of touched on it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if you go in a bit more detail on like the U.S. sport exams and like yeah. when sort of the time frame of that is, how like similar sure. they are to the Canadian ones and what okay. those are like. So I'm not like the greatest person to ask about because I did my part one and part two separately. So in the States, they used to have like part one and you write it in like first or second year. And then the second part is more clinical and you write it uh, at your at the end of your third year, I believe, or I don't know, beginning of your fourth year. But now it's integrated. Everything's well, one exam. And I'm not sure when you usually write it. I think I just talked to a, a DDS fourth year um, and he wrote it like just recently and he's done now. Um, some people might write it later. It's, it's not like the Canadian ones where you have like only like three dates to sign up for it. Like for the American ones, there's like multiple dates and you can kind of choose when you want to write it. Um, and the same thing in, in Canada as well. You have like a pro metrics, pro metric center where you, you apply and you just write it whenever you want as, as long as the date is available. Um, so I would recommend trying to write it at the end of your third year. Um, I know it's kind of not, not convenient because you want to write it when you write your Canadian boards. So then you just study for one exam, basically. That's what I did. I wrote my part two near my Canadian boards. And I thought that was really ideal because I, I studied for the Canadian boards and then I wrote my American boards and I didn't really have to study that much. Um, but with the application cycle, you want to make it as strong as possible. So you want to have something on your application that you passed a U.S. board of some sort. And so I would personally, if I was applying like right now, I would I would write it uh, sooner than later than like because there's an option on the ADA pass to say that you are going to write it. But, you know, when all American students have written it and you're not you're a Canadian applicant and you haven't written it. You know, I just like the appearance of it might look not as good. So I would write it sooner than later. Yeah. I have uh, something to add about my program. So probably those who are apl applying right now understand that when they look on the website, it says that you are applying um, to Calgary and Edmonton um, in, a in a single application. So Alberta sort of created a similar application to Ontario. So when you apply to U of T, you send one application in and you only get to send one um, letter of intent or letter um, that explains why you want to, to do GPR and they send it to their three programs so they have a sick kids program they have a Mount Sinai and they have a Sunnybrook program so if you want to do sick kids you have to be like I want to do pediatric dentistry or they won't choose you so when I applied I didn't specify that I want to do that so I only got interview offers from the other two programs which are general um, GPR programs they're fully hospital-based only in the hospital working with patients who are there, not in a clinic. Um, so U of A is doing that this year, where if you apply to the U of A, your application will automatically be sent to the Calgary and to the Edmonton program. And then they will contact you individually. So, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say, like you've just specified, I wanna to go to Calgary, I wanna to go to, U, uh, to Edmonton, because um, most likely they'll um, send you an offer anyways, as long as you explain why you wanna do 
um, GPR. If you really want to go to Edmonton, you want to make sure you get that um, interview offer, then you should say something about why you've decided to Edmonton specifically so that they have an idea that you're interested in their unique program. Um, I guess Emily and I both didn't, I don't know if Emily really discussed this, but the, the match, we both are in separate matches. So um, if you are going to apply to a Canadian school, we're in the first round of match. So that means that if you um, get matched to a program in the first go, which is in November, you're ineligible to match to a program in the second round, which is the one that Emily applied to. So you have to be willing to give up either your American schools, but if you really want to go to a school in the U.S., and not really in Canada, then just don't do okay, don't apply to those Canadian schools because you're kind of bound in a contract when you do a match program. So you can't just be like, actually, no, I don't want to go. I just want to wait for the second match. Um, they're not they're not going to be happy with you. You want to keep a good relationship with the match, especially if you want to specialize, because a lot of specialties use the match program. And if you sour, you know, yourself with them, then it's going to be hard to get back in there and get matched to a program later on. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah, that was probably a big, a big, it's kind of worrisome when you're waiting for the second match, if you didn't go in the first one, but yeah, it's important. Just, just to add on to that and complicate things further, there's something called non-match. So there's <laughs> match and non-match. So match is what Eleanor was saying. It's a separate thing from the ADA pass that I was talking about earlier for your application. So let's say you do all your interviews, you get to rank your programs in the match, match thing. Um, so you rank your programs what you want it to be um, and make sure that you actually want to go to those programs because there is a chance that you won't get your first choice and you get your fifth choice. You have to make sure you actually want to go to your fifth choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the program ranks to you as well. So if so, and then this magical match thing spits out a um, match between the program and you. And so you are, yeah, again, bound to that kind of contract. And so there's a non-match where you don't go through that. It's more like a kind of like the regular dental school application where you apply to that program. Uh, You can do it through ADA pass, but you don't uh, go through the match uh, process and they send you a direct, uh, we accept you to the program um, or they might send you like, we're not gonna accept you program. So in general, uh, again, the non-match programs are, they follow a similar timeline to the Canadian GPR or um, GPR programs, if that makes sense. So it's a little bit earlier than the second round of match. I, that's probably really confusing, but uh, just to keep it in mind, if you are, if you look through a program and you find that it's non-match, make sure to check their application deadline because it could be sometime in um, early October or late September. So that gives you a very limited time and window to get your references and things like that uh, in the new year. So just to keep that in mind. And if you accept that offer, you're not really allowed to accept a second offer. So you can't just accept it, then still go in the match and then just you know reject it later and then go in your match program. Like they're very strict on those things. So mm-hmm. like a non-match is a little bit more flexible, but it still looks bad if you cancel on them. Um, if you cancel on a non-match program, it doesn't count against you and like a, a match system mm-hmm. so it's like the benefit of that i guess but it still looks bad if you can't if you say like yes and then later you say no because they have to scramble to find somebody else too right so yeah lots of politics involved yeah, 
Yeah, <laughs> it is. I, yeah. On all the things in fourth year, that's like the last thing you want to be worrying about, but it's like all you think about pretty much. Yeah. We had it good because we didn't have to do like, we didn't have to fly. Mm-hmm. Which I think was pretty big because of COVID. Right. Yeah. I don't know what the climate is now. Uh, well, I guess COVID's still still happening, still prevalent. But you know, in the future, it's something to think about because if you're applying to eight programs and you get eight eight interviews, and you have to potentially take time off school and fly to these places, um, and a lot of them don't do interviews on the weekend; they do interviews during the week. So, you know, just to keep that in mind as well, um, once COVID kind of dies down and you can travel again. Right. Thank you. All of those tips and information was so great. Like I had totally no idea that there was so much involved. <laughs> yeah, I'd say this is it's great though, honestly, that we're learning it now. <laughs> um, so kind of moving on to uh, another question here. Um, Eleanor, you can start off first. Um, in your own opinion, I guess, what are some of the pros and cons of attending a program like a GPR or an AGD versus probably going straight into practice? Um, number one, you're going to make way less money than your other classmates Two, you're not, you're missing a year of developing a patient base. So, um, when you graduate and you go into a practice, you are, you know, brand new, you have a year, you get to develop and we kind of miss a year because now we're a year behind. It's not a big deal, but, um, it's something to think about. Um, when you're at the school, you are dealing with a lot of patients who don't have insurance, who don't have a lot of money. So you're making these complex plans and then they're like, just you know, pull them all out and give me dentures. So Emily might be doing a lot of full mouth reconstruction, but a lot of the U of A patients aren't um, willing to spend that much money. Um, The benefit of being in GPR here is that you are still in a school setting. So you do feel more comfortable pushing yourself because you have someone to bail you out if you need, for example. Yeah, I, (laughs) the last two wisdom teeth I pulled this week, I probably did maybe 20% of the extraction and Dr. Tracky did 80%. So we have a lot of um, help, which is, helpful to push yourself um, beyond your limits. Um, And then last, I mean, there's lots of pros. I mean, you know, you get to um, create a lot of nice relationships with specialists. You get um, an idea on how to deal with, you know, complex patients so that you can keep some patients out of the hospital because the hospital is super overwhelmed. And if you feel more comfortable treating patients with, you know, certain disorders, um, then you're kind of keeping them out of the hospital setting. but you do get very paranoid when you're on call. Like I've been speaking to, you know, my other residents and when you're just waiting for that page or you're checking it constantly, like, did I not, is it, is it working? Is it not working? Um, it can be very, very stressful. So if you're not willing to, um, you know, take two weeks off um, from your own life, like for example, like I thought this is bad or anything, but you can't drink, you can't, you have to be pretty much ready to go in at any time. And how we're doing right now is when we shadow call, we're also ready to go in with our other residents. So I'm shadow calling Patrick. So when he gets called, I have to be ready to go in with him. So that's basically two weeks of waiting to be called in for these types of traumas. And we do see lots of people coming in with their tooth got pushed out, extruded. You got to put it back in, splint it and stuff like that. And it's not nothing so crazy, but by the end of those two weeks, you're not, um, you're not a happy camper. So you have to be willing to be able to do that for 12 months. Um, which is tough, but um, it's pretty fun in the end once you think back, oh yeah, that was, that was cool (laughs) after you've had some sleep. Yeah, Emily, you can go. (laughs) Yeah, so cons, I'm going to talk specifically about going to like a US AGD program. It is a lot of work to move here. Uh, I'm still kind of 
recovering from it <laughs> emotionally. Um, and also I'm still kind of getting settled in the sense that I still have to get some like, you know, immigration stuff sorted. So I'm like not fully settled in yet, but I'm almost. And so, you know, that's kind of annoying, right? You have to kind of go out of your way to apply for SSN, um, set up a, a bank account, like little things that you don't even think about. And like when I was applying to like a U.S. Pro- like a U.S. program, I, I felt like I was being a little bit naive. I'm like, yeah, I'll just take a flight. I'll come and I'll, I'll work here and I'll get paid. And it's not that easy, right? You have to, you know, taxes and things like that. And so I would say it's not, it's annoying, but it's doable. So if you're, if you're, if you want to go to a a U.S. program, just make sure that you're committed to making it work, that you're, it's going to be frustrating, especially dealing with like administration and immigration, things like that. But it is doable, especially if you have a program that's willing to back you, uh, which I was luckily enough to have. Um, Also, it, it, you know, it is more of an academic setting. So you're kind of bound sometimes by the politics of the school. Uh, I'm sure you deal with that in dental school as well. So it does feel sometimes like I'm in dental school sometimes, but I'm also, I, there's more times I do feel like a resident. Um, What are some other cons? Uh, Yeah, obviously you don't go to make money. (laughs) I'm getting paid way less than anybody, you know, that is working in private practice. Uh, You you go for the experience. and learning, which I, I do believe that I am. So going on to pros, um, definitely the specialty um, faculty helping you with cases, telling you what to do and kind of showing you their tips and tricks, I think is invaluable to me, uh, which I really appreciate. And every time I do treatment, um, I really like just enjoy it and I feel happy at the end of the day, knowing that I've accomplished something. Um, also, I do have like a lot of co-residents. So I have 14, which seems like a lot, but we're always busy and doing our own thing. Um, But since we don't have like, um, we're not on call. So we get the weekends off to, you know, have drinks or hang out or, you know, go somewhere. So that's been really nice. And I've I've gotten to kind of get to know them a lot more and and we're definitely getting a lot closer, which I think really helps coming from like Canada in the middle of nowhere um, to here and and getting to know people. makes it a lot less of a lonely experience for sure. So when you're looking at programs, look at how many residents are, are gonna be there because if you have, if it's just two of you and the other, if you're a social butterfly and the other one's like a married with four kids, they're not gonna have time for you and you're gonna be lonely. So um, yeah, just to keep that in mind. Um, I think those are like the main things that I, I, I really like about my program for sure. For sure. And um, when and why did you guys decide to pursue either a GPR or an EGD program? Um, what was your thought process like? We can have um, Eleanor go first. Um, I've, I've had it in my brain for a couple years. I didn't really decide probably till the summer before fourth year. Um, I don't know. I, I sometimes wonder if I just don't know when to say, oh yeah, I'm done going to school. I'm done, you know, pushing myself to the next thing. Um, but I just, I liked the emergency clinic when I did my rotation in fourth year, I found it very similar to shine. So when you work on the weekends, patients just get booked in. Oh, I have a toothache. So you go in, you do your emergency exam, you decide, okay, I need to extract it. Oh, you need a root canal, et cetera. And I liked that environment. I like trauma. I like, you know, high intense situations. I really enjoyed, you know, the experiences we've had with, you know, patients who are coming in with, you know, broken off teeth, or I got, you know, punched in the face and my teeth are hanging out down the back of my mouth. I I think that's kind of interesting. And I, um, that's one of the reasons I was pushing myself to to come in. 
Um, but yeah, that's probably like the main things. I'm not, I mean, I do like that we get to do other complex treatments with implants and stuff like that, but I like the hospital a lot more. Um, the complex patient management is really interesting to me, so. Right, for sure. And then Emily? So why I wanted to do an AGD GBAC. Um, so I specifically wanted to do like a US AGD program um, because I just wanted to do like a one year adventure away from home and it's like a limited time. I don't want to spend that much time away. And it's just to kind of like explore and like and challenge myself personally to like, you know, live away from my family and just kind of grow on in that sense, which I definitely have. Um, also, I wanted to do more complex treatments because I just like wasn't sure at the end of dental school, like what I envisioned my future to be, what kind of treatments I want to do. And I kind of just wanted to like jumpstart that process to go into an AGD where they do more complex cases to see if there's something that I really like, if there's something that I want to pursue. Um, and also like, if I do want to pursue something, then I have like references and I have contacts and, and networking within this program to go ahead and, and go ahead and specialize if I want to, or if I just want to stay in general dentistry, then I can. Um, and so a, a program like that, just to kind of like challenge myself, I think that was the biggest thing. Um, and just to have that like one year adventure, I think that was also key as well. Um, and I just wanted to quickly add on to like an AGD. So there's like this thought that AGD is more like private practice and it, it can be like that. It can be more like a school setting or a community health clinic where it's kind of like Boyle Macaulay where you do more like low income, I see low income patients and um, GPR is more like hospital. Um, and again, I, as I said before, it's more of a spectrum, but I just wanted to touch upon that and why I wanted to do an AGD and why I was interested in AGD is because I initially had heard that it was more of a um, like private practice style, like eight to five. Um, but then doing my research, I, I found out it's more of a spectrum and it's like a range. And just to follow up with that, did either of you want to specialize? Is that um, a thought that you guys were having? I don't know. <laughs> That's like, it's still taboo. You know, you can't ask that question yet. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can't, you can't say it unless like, it, or it won't come true, you know? <laughs> right. For sure. For sure. So I guess we will just have to see into the future. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> I would say there's definitely some things I'm interested in. Um, on another note, there's not a lot of AGD programs that have children. So if you're interested okay. yeah, in, yeah. in pedo, then you most likely go to like a pediatric GPR or like make sure you ask them about that because sometimes they don't have like a good pediatric component to it. Just mm -hmm. an aside. Um, yeah. Anyway, I want to say that because I hate peds and I didn't want to see I didn't want to see children. Um, I also. I also thought I didn't like perio, but actually doing some like basic surgeries and stuff, I thought was pretty interesting. Um, I would say pros, I thought I liked pros, but seeing all these complicated cases, I'm like, oh, this is like way out of my comfort zone. Maybe I'll get more comfortable, but I'm not sure. Like endo, like I, I'm, I'm starting to figure out things I like and, and not like. And I think that's, that's pretty much it for me. Like I would say I'm not like super confident that I'm gonna specialize. Mm -hmm. I just feel like there's way more thought process into it, you know, than just saying that you, you like one thing, you have to kind of dedicate your life to it. It's like, yeah. you know, two to three year residency program in a different, you know, place. Are you willing to move, you know, things like that. So I haven't really decided for myself personally. I heard something good. It was saying, don't special, I mean, 
yes, some people really don't like general dentistry, so they want to find something else they can just focus on. But generally, you should, shouldn't specialize just to specialize. You should specialize because you really enjoy that type of work. Because if you do want to do root canals every single day, you know, four or five root canals a day, like imagine that's what you're going to do, right? Um, that, you know, everything has its own pros and cons, but that's sort of what my mindset is kind of leaning towards. Just figure out what I like first and then decide later. I feel like people focus so much on specializing, but I think general dentistry has like a really good merit in itself. You know, you're, you're the primary care provider and you get to help them in their treatment, you know, and some specialists, they just focus on one thing, but you, you are focusing on multiple things. And also you get a life. Like, I think that's huge. Um, you, you get to choose your hours. Um, I think as a specialist, like if you, unless you work with somebody else then it's like kind of hard to take time off I don't know I'm just I'm just spitballing things but I just feel like <laughs> if you talk to any of this dentists at school like they they like the relationship they make with their patients so you see them over multiple years and you get to know them versus specialists see them for their treatment a couple times afterwards and then it's kind of out the door so mm -hmm. uh, if you enjoy that you know follow-up then that's what general practice is for yeah awesome that's great so our last question here, sadly, we're coming to an end. Um, I'm gonna ask both of you uh, what your most uh, memorable moment has been in your program so far. Emily, you can start us off. Okay, oh, that's hard. Um, okay, so I recently had to do like a presentation um, of like a treatment plan treatment planning case and so I hate public speaking and it like you know freaked me out a lot but I was able to do it and I did it and I was happy that I finished and um yeah and then after we all went for drinks and I just remember it was just like a very peaceful like zen day and I thought that was really cool just like vibing with my co-residents and just like sitting downtown um and just having drinks I thought that was like a really adult experience that I don't know. I really liked so far. So that was like two days ago. Wow. Very proud of you, Emily. <laughs> I would say my favorite moment, I think the moment I was, I texted Patrick this afterwards. I was like, am I like becoming a better dentist? I had this patient. We saw her the second day we we're in clinic. She's severe dementia, Alzheimer's. She's in a wheelchair. She can't move. She doesn't know what's going on. She's um, with her daughter and they're like, oh yeah, like her front teeth are hurting her lip, blah, blah, blah. So we're looking, her front teeth are fine. They're not ideal, but um, they're like, we need to look around the whole mouth, but she doesn't understand. Like, I think something that people don't realize is GPR is not all fancy stuff. Like you're dealing with these patients where you have to trick them. Like I pretended that my mirror was a spoon. I'm like, okay, open wide. And she thought she was eating off of my mirror to try to get my finger in there. And then yeah, she bit on my finger. That's another story. But I felt on the back a root tip at her three in her three, eight spot. And I'm like, oh my God, I couldn't really see it. Cause I wasn't very comfortable looking in her mouth. Cause it's kind of uncomfortable when she doesn't know what's going on. She can't open. And I'm like, I think there's a root tip. And then our instructor was saying, um, well, do you think you can get it out? I'm like, I definitely, not right now, maybe in a month. And so then <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, it was a month later and she was booked and I was going, oh my God, it's been a month. I'm not, you know, I'm not ready for this. And we ended up using this bite block. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. It's a long white one. You enter it sort of sideways, horizontal, and you flip it open and it helps open the patient up. And uh, we had her daughter help. She wore a lead apron. She held an x-ray for us. We've got an x-ray of it. I had to shove it in with my finger and you know, you're not doing very nice things to her, but we ended up getting the root tip out 
And afterwards I was just like, I couldn't believe I did it all by myself. Like it was a really nice feeling and the daughter was so grateful and I got a suture all the way back there and everything. It was really, it was a really cool experience. And that was, I think like the perfect definition of like hospital dentistry. It's not super complex, but the patient management is huge and it was like super rewarding. So I really, I really enjoyed that, um, that experience. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. awesome. I feel like her example is better than mine. No, they were both great. And um, thank you guys for giving us such a holistic view of both of the programs. Um, that's it for today's episode. Again, thank you, Eleanor and Emily for joining us today. We learned tons. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, thank guys. you. Good luck with everything. Thank you. If you ever have any questions, feel free to email me at sunwu, S-U-N-W-O-O at ualberta.ca. Yep, same with me, guys. You can contact me at um, L-E-K-A-C-H at ualberta.ca. Or if you have me on Facebook, just shoot me a message and uh, we can talk some more. Yes, you can add me on Facebook as well. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye now.